You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Back in 1991, Anne Zachary stepped into the advocate world while tutoring students and hearing their stories. Since then, Anne stepped her way forward up the learning curve, which included becoming a behavioral analyst, getting a master's in educational psychology, and picking up her paralegal certificate to help hundreds of students obtain the educational services they need. Listen in today as Anne tells her story and where the future of advocacy is heading. Enjoy the conversation. Anne Zachary, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you here. So you're down there in the Wrightwood, sort of Los Angeles areas, and I wanted to ask you about what services you provide and, well, maybe I've already said it, but what parts of California do you cover? Actually, um, I cover all of California. We have another advocate who uh, partners with us up in San Jose area, Um, but mostly I cover Southern and Central Coast California. And what sort of services do you find yourself providing? So, you know, like typically who calls you and what kind of questions or help are they seeking? Um, As far as the advocacy goes, which is the largest part of what we do, it's parents of children with special needs who have become frustrated with their school districts and are trying to navigate the bureaucracy and don't understand the rules or the science of it and um, are at a loss and they don't know if what they're being told is accurate. Sometimes they have reason to suspect that it's not. Um, and so, uh, most of our inquiries come from those kinds of families. Uh, we go in and well, I go in as a, I start out with doing a records review. I will re- give notice of representation as a lay advocate, request student okay. records. And then I go through, because I'm also an educational psychologist and a behavior analyst, I'm, you know, and I'm paralegal. I'm going through all of these records, looking at it from the standpoint of, what data have they already gathered? Is there anything that's been left out? Is there anything we need to ask for in terms of additional assessment before we even know what to ask for for services and whatnot? So once I get to the to the end of the line of doing the records review, then I come up with a game plan as, okay, this is what makes sense to do based on what the situation is, the facts and the regulations, you know, as told by the evidence. And then, um, and then we'll go to the IEP meetings. We'll submit correspondence on behalf of the family, um, if we have to, we'll file state compliance complaints. If the matter gets to the point where we can't resolve it at the local level, which is rare, but it does happen, then we'll refer the case to an attorney. And then I may stay mm-hmm. on board as a paralegal because I'm already familiar with the case all the way through litigation. And um, and so that's as far as the advocate hat, that's the path that I typically travel down an advocacy case. So, you know, you mentioned you, you know, behavior analyst, uh, you have a psychology degree, master's psychology, and a paralegal as well. Did you have that when you first started? And the reason I ask you is, do you have a different oh. lens now that you have that educational background than maybe when you first started? Oh, my advocacy? gosh, yeah. I started out in 1991. I was tutoring. And um, I became a member of a chapter of CHAD, Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Disorders. And the family that started that chapter went off to a team of advocates for special kids, you know, parent advocacy workshop and came back with like $500 worth of reference materials that started (laughs) off our chapter's library. And um, so that's where I cut my teeth on advocacy was with those guys. That's when I first got exposed to it. I never even heard of it prior to then. And um, so then as the years went by and I I started working as a lay advocate on my own while also tutoring, it was usually kids I tutored who weren't getting good services at school. Like, why are you getting more of an hour of my time a week than a week at school? 
um, I would go in and, you know, and help those families. So that's how I began as an advocate. I, be, I uh, did a due process case back in 1998, back oh, when advocates wow. could do that, mm-hmm. and prevailed. And um, so it was a reimbursement case for uh, residential placement. And, um, ah, so right. that, so after that, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to get a feel for this whole situation, but, uh, but what I couldn't do was recover my fees because advocates fees were not recoverable, even when it was sure. okay for advocates to go to due process back then. And I, you know, it was supposed to be a free and appropriate public education and the parents are already paying through the nose for advocates fees in the IET process, even when we're putting them on sliding scales and whatnot, because we're a nonprofit. Um, but you, you know, it's, it, there, it's always a struggle for a family to have to do that and then have to also eat the fees for litigation to try and get services yeah. that they were rightfully entitled to in the first place. And so mm-hmm. now I do it as a paralegal because I, that way I can bill my time to the due process case and it's recoverable as part of the attorney's fees and costs and it's not being passed on to the parent. Yeah, I mean, that's so, one of my questions. Um, so, one of my questions, it looks like maybe you've already pretty much answered is like, what got you into it? And it sounds like you more just sort of stepped through it little by little. And before you knew it, you were full blown. Every, advocate. yeah, people kept calling my bluff and I kept <laughs> up the ante. And so, um, you know, like, look, if you don't do this, I'm filing for due process. And they're like, oh, yeah. And so, you know, so, you know, it, Every time somebody would come back at me with something that was ridiculous, I'm like, well, the only way I'm going to be able to combat this is by, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. that's why I went and got the master's degree. It was, it was like, well, you've never taught in a classroom, and how dare you come in here and tell us how to blah, 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 blah. I'm like, all right, well. And, and plus, a lot of the stuff I learned in the field, I mean, I didn't go back from my master's degree until 2011, and I finished in okay. 2013. So you've been and, doing it And quite I a while didn't become a paralegal point. until 2005. Yeah, I started in 91 as an advocate. I became a paralegal in 2005, and then I became an educational psychologist in 2013. Okay. So um, it's been a stair step, uh, years at a time between each huge step. <laughs> but I got to the point where I, I'm, I'm, I can't go any further. I can't help anymore if I don't have this extra qualification. I can't fix this if I can't take it one step further. And so um, that was, you know, my job as an advocate, first and foremost, is to eliminate arguments on the record. And I can't eliminate the argument of I've got to ask questions rather than make assertions as an expert. And so I got really good at asking questions because I would already know the answer. I just didn't have the degree necessarily to back me up. And I'm like, well, isn't it true that blah, blah, blah. And then I have to get them to say it on the recording at the IEP meeting or on the witness or whatever. And so I would rather just come in and say, hey, the science says X. Can we do X? You know, and now it's and not, the, I don't have to argue about yes, it anymore. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, what, what yeah. Keeps, or what, if what no, find, there should be an explanation as to why not. Well, what do you find, I mean, sorry, obviously you like, well, you obviously you'd like to learn. So but, uh, uh, my question is, what is the most interesting part of being an advocate? Is that a big part of it? Just that there's always something new to learn. There's a, as you said, steps to climb. There's another step in front of you to learn something new. Oh, it's exhausting. It's like a video game. You can always clear another boss level and level up. But I think for me, what what motivates me to keep going forward is the families that I work for, because I have met the most amazing parents on the face of this earth. You just don't know what somebody's capable of until they're put in a difficult situation. And I've seen parents who have just risen to the occasion and been there for their kids, like the champions that all parents should be. And it makes Mm -hmm. me very proud to be 
part of the tool in their toolbox that helps them get them where they're going. And, you know, we use every case as a teachable moment. It's not like, oh, here, let us handle it and we'll just send you a bill. We're sitting down with the parents and saying, look, I'm not sending this letter out until you understand what it means and you agree with it. You have a right to meaningful parent participation. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm here to facilitate. Let me explain what this means and what all this is. You know, and so I want the parents hands-on involved because it's their kid and it's not my job to step in and assume their authority. I'm there to help them assert their authority and, um, you know, and exercise their rights in a knowledgeable, understanding way. And so um, to be able to be part of their learning curve. And now that I've been doing this as long as I have, some of my kids aren't kids anymore. They're bringing their uh, kids sure. to introduce me oh. to the lady that helped them get through school. <laughs> and they're calling cool. me saying, I'm, I'm, they're giving me grief. Yeah, totally cool. They're giving me grief at my college because I need accommodations and they're acting like I never told them this before. And they've had my IEP for the last three years, you know, from high school. And, right. um, and where did it go? How do they suddenly no longer have record of my need for accommodations? And so I'm coming back and representing students at the college level and developing relationships with them as adult clients that I didn't have the privilege of having before because I was working directly with their parents. And that was just now the you, little kid I was representing, but I didn't know them. And now I have this relationship with this person who I represented as a child and who I now work with uh, to help them advocate for themselves as an adult. And that's pretty awesome, I have to say. Now, you started out, you know, as you said, in 91, but now you have Knowledge Power Solutions for Parents Organization, a nonprofit that you put together. Is that, was that just a natural extension of the work you were doing and just a way to organize it in one place, or do you have a different mission behind it? Yeah. Oh, no. Um, we were actually founded by one of my clients when I was a freelance advocate. Uh, so Nianza Cook is our founder. And okay. she was the parent, of, is the parent of two special needs young men who are now adults. Um, okay. These are two of the adults that I <laughs> come to mind. And, <laughs> and her story is um, right there on the, on the and, website. Uh, so, yeah, so it's an important part of what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, exactly. It's right there on our homepage. And so um, I was her advocate. And so after we uh, settled her stepson's case, we turned around and started KPS for Parents and um, have been going ever since. And so that's... I was already doing the work as a freelance advocate. She gave me the means to, to, to help her do it in a more meaningful way through a nonprofit organization and be able to help people a lot better than I could as a freelance advocate. I mean, it's, my dream was to do the, the whole nonprofit thing, and I just didn't know where to start. And she said, hey, here are our articles of incorporation. You're ready to do this thing? I'm like, oh, my God. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was like, yeah. So, um so that's how we got started and as a nonprofit organization. And then um, in 2006, she had some health issues and stepped down as the CEO, but she stayed on our board of directors. Hmm. And um, I stepped up as the CEO, and it just it worked. We've been doing it this way ever since. It just works. So, um, you know, and we're, now that we're doing the Learn and Grow uh, Sustainability Learning Center and these other things that are outside of special ed per se, it's intertwined but not directly related, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, we're looking at reorganizing ourselves in a way that makes more sense so the KPS for parents and its advocacy is one house and the other things we're doing are, you know, live in their own houses and it's not confusing as to who we are and what we do. So you, you we've got some work to, ahead of us. But, well, I was wondering with 25 mm -hmm. years or, or more of advocacy work, like, have you seen it change a lot, like the, the role of advocates, maybe some of the challenges they face in that time? Oh, my gosh, yes. And how, um, what kind of sort of change did say, you see? And 
the last few years, what I am seeing, and this is going to, uh, some people may not receive this well, but I'm just going to be blunt. Uh-oh. Here we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the cronyism and back scratching that kept special education and just public education in general humming along for a while to the benefit of some people, but not most people. Um, that's no longer okay. That uh, you were, I'm seeing millennials who come in who went through grad school with me who are trained on the same science I am. And they're no more willing to put park their science to the curb and scratch somebody's back in exchange for a favor than the man on the moon. They're like, no, that's not what I train for. That's not millennials weren't trained that way. They were trained to work collaboratively. And uh, so sure. to go in and do this cronyistic, you know, let's stab this parent in the back and take the services from this kid so that we can go finance our golf trip or whatever it is that they do, um, you know, that, that has nothing to do with education. Uh, we now have people coming into these same jobs now that these other folks are retiring out who actually get what the mandate is, who actually do want to apply the science, who really are well, there well, to help children. That's good, though, right? And and so it's huge because – and this is only the last couple of years because, um, you know, when I would come in with the science, uh, you know, prior to the last couple of years, it's like, oh, God, here comes and asking all the questions we can't answer. And now I go in and I ask questions like, well, what is this child's zone of proximal development in this skill area? What is reasonable to expect in a year's time on this goal? The people mm-hmm. in the room that I'm talking to, I ask that question, I actually know what I'm asking, where administrators and lawyers do not. And so you, 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 know, you have people who are actually there for the true purpose of educating children who have been trained on the science. And instead of going, this is too hard, it can't be done, because you know, prior to then, nobody knew how, really. The science was not that succinct. Um, that now that we have the science that we have and we do have the research that supports what works and what doesn't, there's no reason not to do it. And it's more cost-effective to do it right than to mess up and have to pay to fix it later. And so, you know, there's a fiscal argument to be made with doing it right the first time. And so well, I'm seeing more and more people who think that way coming into the system as I'm seeing a lot of the cronyistic people retire and take their pensions and run. Mm. I think part of it too is that by the time the millennials retire, there will be no such thing as pensions. And I think that some folks are seeing the writing on the wall and getting out while the getting is good because otherwise they're going to lose all that. And, um, you know, we're happy to see them go because they were not part of the solution. And that's the only reason they were there. So now that they're they're leaving and we're starting to get people who actually know how to educate and care about that and you know they feel guilty if they're taking a paycheck for doing anything other than that <laughs> um I go in and I connect with these people and they're not fighting me on anything because I'm not asking for anything that worth fighting over. I'm not asking mm-hmm. for crazy things. I'm not asking for things that I can't support with science and law. The problem is before I was asking of people who didn't know the science and the law so they didn't understand the question. Now I got people who actually understand what I'm asking for, and they're like, "Oh, that's reasonable. Of course, I can do that." And Absolutely. so it's it's made my job so much easier in terms of being able. To, I mean, I had to ramp up to get to the point where I know what I know to be able to ask those kinds of questions on the record to even get stuff for kids. But um, you know, in the beginning, it was because I was laying the foundation as an evidentiary trail in case it went to hearing. Now it's just because I'm asking the question because it's asking the question. And that's as far as it goes. I don't even have to worry about, you know, is this going to blow up in our faces down the line? Because they fixed it. 
So I don't have I don't have nearly the fights on my hands that I had like ten years ago. Not even not even close. We're coming towards the end of our time here. What's a good way for people to get mm-hmm. a hold of you? Uh, that I would recommend that you send us an email at info at kpsforparents.org or call us at 805-292-2003. That will roll over to my executive assistant. Uh, that does not go directly to me. There's, I can't do direct any. <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> but um, if, if, if you don't get, if he doesn't pick up on the line, leave a message. He will, you know, one of us will get back, to, you know, right away. And certainly if you email, then the, the turnaround time is usually pretty quick. So that would be what I would recommend. Um, folks can also go to our website at kpsforparents.org and um, fill out our contact us page and it'll go through the same channels and we'll still get back to you pretty quickly. Sounds good. And I'll be sure to have all that included in the show notes. And Zachary, thanks so much for all your information and your passion and your time today. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.